You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works. And yet in the Catechism we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's Word. God says, be holy, be perfect, as I the Lord your God am holy and perfect. But does he really mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Noah Kirstein. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. For the last several episodes, we've been working our way through the epistle of James. We have uh, gone uh, very, very slow and methodically through the first couple of chapters. We uh, began to pick things up a bit when we got to chapter 3. And then uh, last week, we, uh, we slowed down again. We, uh, we are looking at the section James 4. And the unit that we're looking at here is 1 through 10. James 4, 1 through 10. Last week, we made it through the first four verses, so you can uh, check out our podcast, uh, KNNA Theological Programming, episode 59, for those uh, first or 58, excuse me, this is episode 59. Uh, Episode 58, where we cover in depth the first four verses of James 4. And uh, we're going to start at James 5 today. Vicar, would you you read James 4, 1 to 10, so we get a context of uh, this wider discussion? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose... It is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, We have in the uh, first several verses here in James chapter 4, we have some very, very heavy hitting law. And we spent quite a little time talking about that, talking about uh, second person preaching and why that is uh, so important 
It is uh, not grandstanding or some uh, show of authoritarianism by the pastor. He's certainly included uh, when he is uh, preaching in the second person, you sinners. Uh, But it is important because the only way that you can have a personalized second person gospel is if you have a personalized second person law. And so we have a a marvelous example here, and in the... um, section that we're going to be looking at today, we have a great call to repentance. We have what happens as a fruit of repentance and uh, just marvelous, marvelous words from uh, Pastor James as he's speaking not only to his congregation, but to us as well. Uh, Pastor, do you want to just briefly summarize uh, the first four verses of James uh, for so that we can uh, pick up with James 4, verse 5. Yeah, uh, I think maybe the way to think about the first few verses uh, that we studied last time is that within us there is always a conflict going on. Our Christian nature is always in conflict with our old sinful nature. The new Adam and the old Adam are fighting with one another. And uh, we even say this in the catechism, right, that our our baptism uh, drowns our old sinful nature by daily repentance and contrition so that a new man may arise to live before God. And um, just like if Pastor Poppy was trying to drown me, um, I would be fighting back. Uh, so too, our old sinful nature doesn't want to die in the waters of baptism either, and it fights back. And uh, um, and that's the thing that's going on between between the new nature and the old nature within every single person in the world um, uh, who is a Christian. And that's the cause then of a lot of the things that go on that are sinful in congregations, in families, in all sorts of things like that. I think that's very well said. Uh, Paul has a uh, long, long discourse on this battle that goes on inside of every Christian in Romans chapter 7. And, uh, you know, Lutherans understand Romans 7 well. And there are uh, many church bodies, including our uh, friends in the Roman Catholic Church, that um, really, really struggle with the uh, understanding that God's Word clearly teaches that we are at the same time both saint and sinner. And when we, when we realize this simul, which is uh, the, the Latin for simultaneous, which uh, Lutherans often refer to, when we understand that this simul is uh, very, very real, we, um, we don't fall into the ditch on one side of once saved, always saved, and we don't fall into the ditch on the other side that every sin that a Christian commits is evidence that he has fallen from the faith. Uh, it is a struggle. It is a struggle every day. Um, we struggle with the devil, the world, and our flesh, and that's one of the reasons why the church is called the church militant. We are always at war, um, at war with Satan, and Satan manifests himself in the world and in our flesh. Romans 7 talks about that battle with the flesh. James 4 is talking, and really it's a continuation of James 3, but James 3 and 4 talks about that battle with the world. It makes me think of in the Old Testament when um, Jacob was on the way back into the promised land and he was going to meet Esau, 
Uh, he hears Esau's coming, and uh, so he puts his family on the other side of the river so that he's between Esau and his family. He sends these gifts to try and smooth things over, uh, and then he's up on the mountain alone, and he spends that night wrestling with God, right? And uh, that's really what the Christian life is, is that wrestling with God all the time. Uh, and uh, it's a great challenge that we all live every day of faith life. Amen. Amen. Well said. Uh, I was I was going to, you know, you, you said uh, Esau is coming, and it uh, reminded me of the old uh, Three Dog Night song, Eli's coming. Uh, you know, we could, we could. Uh, you I, was could gonna, I was trying to figure out how Jeremiah was a bullfrog. <laughs> you, <fit> in. <laughs> you, you could uh, write a whole contemporary uh, service pastor based on the uh, Three Dog Night lyrics, uh, and um, um, nobody will come. The the random <laughs> thing is, all morning I've had a song of theirs stuck in my head. So. Oh, uh, well, great. Ask me about like. ask me about that on the break. All right, James uh, four verse five, and I'm going to read uh, verse four along with it because the two go really, really hand in hand. Verse four: You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's the immediate context. Now, verse five: Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? So basically, verse 4 and verse 5 of James chapter 4 are saying the same thing, one in a negative way and one in a positive way. Is that a fair statement, Pastor? Sure, yeah. Um, so explain to me, uh, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Uh, explain that. It's a little bit cryptic. Who is the he that has uh, made the spirit dwell in us and yearns zealously over us? Well, I'd say the answer to that is God. Uh, God is the one who calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth. So it has to be God. Now, what is this uh, jealousy thing? Um, Usually when we think of jealousy, we think of um, something negative. We think of a green-eyed monster. We think of a vicar getting upset if uh, he thinks that his uh, girlfriend is uh, blinking her eyes at uh, some other beau. Uh, We think of this in a negative way. Explain to us the jealousy of God and why this is a positive attribute of God. Yeah, um, it it is a positive thing. I mean, so if the example is the vicar uh, and his girlfriend, if he's if he's jealous, it's because he loves his girlfriend and wants what's best for her and doesn't want to, uh, you know, give her up or anything. Uh, and so that's the thing that's driving his actions. Now imagine if, I mean, obviously Vicar's not perfect, obviously, right? <laughs> imagine if he was and, um, 
he was he was being jealous and showing that love and compassion and care uh, for a completely pure and holy and righteous reasons. Well, that's what God is doing for us. And so it's jealousy in that he doesn't want to share us with Satan or death or eterni- eternal hell. Uh, he wants us all to himself uh, in a positive, holy, pure, and upright way. So it is a good thing that God is both jealous and zealous for his children. He doesn't want us to fall away. He doesn't want us to live uh, away contrary to the scriptures. He doesn't want us to be caught up in the lies and deceit of the world. And uh, in that immediate context of verse 4, the ways of the world are alluring and seductive and can suck us away from Christ. And I think probably a better example than a a person and their girlfriend would be a father with his kids, right? Uh, A father doesn't want their kids caught up in drugs or in other addictions or, you know, drunk driving or anything like that. He wants what's best uh, for his children, and that's the same that God uh, desires for us. He does so jealously. Okay, we just have a few seconds left in this first segment. Um, James says, as the Scripture says, I can't find this particular quote. Now, the next quote comes from the Proverbs. Uh, what What do you think about that question, Pastor? I think it's a bad translation. When I looked at the Greek because uh, I couldn't find it either. I think what it's saying is, uh, do you think that it's empty or in vain that the Scripture speaks? I think that's a right way to understand it. So it's not saying I'm quoting Scripture, but he's taking the entirety of Scripture and saying, through that, God speaks to us, and do you think that that is done vainly? And since it's translated poorly in the ESV, uh, it kind of confuses that. Okay, so uh, a general principle that is taught in the scripture rather than a direct quote. Yes. Okay. All right, that takes us to our first break. Equipping the Saints, James chapter 4. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Kirstein. We're working our way through the epistle of James. We are at James 4, and we're going to look at verse 6. We, uh, we're looking at verses 1 through 10 as a unit. They follow very, very closely um, on the heels of James' discussion of wisdom from above at the end of chapter 3 in our uh, previous uh, episode. We, uh, we talked about um, chapter divisions and verse divisions and breaks and how uh, they are not in the original and so we shouldn't be uh, too um, too concerned or too bound by them it's a letter it's a free-flowing thought and the chapter and verse designations are helpful for us to be able to locate verses memorize certain verses um, and uh, 
It's always best to read things in their context. The book of James is only five chapters. Uh, you can sit down and read the book of James easily in 15 to 20 minutes, and I would encourage you, if you're not already doing that, that would be a, a great devotional study in addition to our verse-by-verse -verse study of the epistle of James. Okay, so we've got this contrast now between being friends with the world and uh, being friends with the Spirit, I guess, uh, friends with God, friends with the Spirit, friends with the Word of God, um, friends with true wisdom that's uh, displayed in verses 4 and 5. We've talked about the jealousy of God, and then in verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, this quote comes from Proverbs chapter 3. Am I correct there, Pastor? Correct. Okay. Proverbs uh, chapter 3. So like a good pastor, he is quoting not only the general themes of Scripture, but direct words of God from the Scriptures. I wanted to finish that thought. Um, the place where we just read where the sentence is translated wrong. It does have it in Scripture. It's just James 4, 5, then. That, that's where it says it in the Scripture now. So uh, just to be clear. Okay, uh, and I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Okay, so in verse 5, he gives more grace. Um, you know, Lutherans sometimes get a little nervous when we hear this kind of talk in Scripture. Because, you know, we have some churches, uh, especially our friends in the Roman Catholic Church, that have a different definition of grace. And they will talk about, I go to church to get graces. Or I go to church to get more grace. And generally, when Lutherans are talking about grace, they're not so much talking about individual things, but they are just talking about the way God works, the undeserved love, the undeserved favor, the undeserved gifts that God gives to us. So how are we to understand this line where it says, God, he, God, gives more grace? Well, um, I guess what I'd say is God gives it abundantly, right? Um, and... He gives more maybe than we need, right? Are we talking he, like in Hebrews where it says grace upon grace? Yeah, that kind of idea where the amount that he gives is so tremendous and wonderful that it is beyond all our comprehension and understanding. So I, I, don't, I don't know that it's like he gives more and there's like a special threshold that you have to reach or anything like that. And so you need to make sure that he gives you enough or you have to earn it so that he pours out more upon you. I think it's, it's talking about it in a slightly different term than that. What do you think? Uh, can, can we, uh, I'm just going to ask you another question. Can we, uh, can we leave me out to hang? <laughs> can we, can we uh, substitute the word forgiveness for grace? 
I, I think that that's a part of it. I think there's more than that that's uh, even bigger than just forgiveness. I mean, so even we talk about forgiveness in the Lord's Supper, we say life and salvation also, which flow okay. out of that. And then there's, you know, the ages to come where we'll be with God and his kingdom. And who knows what that all is. And all these things he gives to us by grace. And so... It's more than that. Where, where I was going was uh, he gives us grace through his word. He gives us grace through the holy absolution. He yeah. gives us grace in holy baptism. He gives us grace as we return to the baptismal waters daily. He gives us grace in his holy supper. He gives us grace in the consolation of the brethren. He gives us grace upon grace and up, upon grace. And this is not a merit that we earn. Where, where we are uh, stockpiling God's graces in our pocketbook that we can take them out and pay God off when we need it. It's not that kind of a system. Right. It's just the overabundant love of God. Each time he gives you, to uh, quote you, quoting Kuhlman, the whole enchilada, right? The whole thing each time. And uh, that's, that's amazing. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Vicar, um, how does God oppose the proud? He opposes the proud because the proud are those who are self-righteous, who don't rely on the Lord for his grace and mercy, but um, justify themselves. And, I mean, this goes back to the Beatitudes. You know, those who are meek are blessed, and those who are meek are those who know their sin and who are humbled by their sins, knowing that they they are not just in themselves, they are not righteous in themselves, they need mercy from the Lord, and they seek after this mercy, and they are they are humbled. The, uh, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector comes to mind here, where we have this played out uh, between the proud Pharisee, who is self-righteous, even to the point where uh, the Scripture says he uh, prays to himself or prays about himself, and the, uh, the tax collector who is truly penitent and clings to the mercy of God for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, James is building here, and James is building up to a, a beautiful call to repentance and by talking about how God appro- opposes the proud, uh, you know, I think of that word imagery from Isaiah where he's talking about trees all the time. And uh, several places right around Isaiah 9, 10, 11, 12, right in there, he's using this tree imagery where the axe is at the root. And he, you know, this big, bold tree that thinks it's growing on its own, God comes and chops it down. Jesus uses that same word imagery as well. And I believe John the Baptist, this is, uh, this is one of the ways God opposes the proud. He knocks us down a notch. Yeah. Is, that, is that going too far, Pastor? No, and uh, it's great, too, because the word that he uses in the Greek uh, is antitasso, which is a military term. Um, you have antitasso. Um, in ancient warfare, you had multiple lines that would all approach each other in battle. And the first line, uh, their job uh, was skirmisher. And so they would stay away and they would throw javelins and spears at people from a distance and then the next line too that's their first thing that they do in the roman legion right they have these special um 
spears that they threw that when they hit the opponent's shield, they would bend so they couldn't be thrown back and they'd get stuck in the shield so the opponent had to get rid of their shield. And that ranged combat uh, is what this antitasso word is. That's what God's doing. He's in battle against uh, against this idea of um, proudness in yourself. James is talking to brothers, and, uh, you know, he's talking to Christians. We are brothers in Christ. Whether you're male or female, that, that part is irrelevant. We are brothers in Christ. This is God's word, God's imagery. And as we are brothers in Christ, if I'm understanding you correctly, there are times when God goes to battle against me, against a Christian, uh, in the same way that he's jealous for a Christian, for that Christian's own good, there are times when God goes to battle against me for my own good. Am I hearing you right? Yeah, and I think, um, and maybe this is stretching it too far, right? Uh, you know me, the ancient history nerd. Um, what that ranged combat is supposed to do is, is, like I said, remove your shield, your defense, so that now you're ready to be fully uh annihilated right it, it takes down your defenses and i think that that's the specific word that's being used here if it was hand-to-hand -hand combat it would be a different word but this is that range thing to take down your defenses and sometimes that's what god is doing especially when you're proud in yourself he wants to cut down that uh that so that he can actually have you for himself. I don't know if that's a stretch or not. No, I, th I think I think that fits in well here. And Vicar before talked about you know the self righteousness that is at play when we are proud, uh, when we're full of hubris. Vicar, I want to continue this then with you. At the end of verse six, it says, "But gives grace to the humble." So does that mean humility is a virtue? That saves me, and that if I can uh, just become more humble, I can save myself by virtue of uh, God's gift of humility. Is that how this works? Well, if you really want to try for it, go ahead, but I don't think that's how it works. The Lord is the one who makes humble, right? It's, it's his law that comes in. It's his word that is applied to you, that shows you your sin, and he humbles you. And even as he humbles you, he gives you grace. He forgives your sins. He rescues you from your pride and your arrogance. He rescues you from the devil because he is jealous over you. And he gives you the spirit that dwells in you and allows you to believe his words. How about if I say it this way, Vicar? And I, I think I agree with what you said. I think it was well said. How about if I say it this way? Um, when I am proud and self-righteous, I don't want to listen to anybody or anything except myself. And after God humbles me and shows me the folly of my pride, hubris, self-righteousness, then my ears are opened so that I can hear the word of God and hear the promises of God. What do you think about that? Well, it goes back to that illustration of having your shield knocked out by this ranged combat the lord the lord comes to you with his word and he puts you down he he 
with the power of God, you fight the old Adam in you and you drown him so that you do rise a new man to live before God in righteousness and purity. It's, it's the Lord's work doing it. And we're going to see how uh, we are an active participant in this battle that's going on here, too. While God is doing the doing, um, there, there, are, uh, there are things that a Christian is called to do in the midst of this battle. We're humbled by, the, by God. We are driven to our knees. We are given the grace upon grace upon grace, which is God's word of love, of God's word of forgiveness, God's word of peace, God's word of restoration. Oh, so much here. James chapter 4. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Kirstein. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. If you're in Lincoln or in the surrounding area, come visit us for worship every Sunday morning at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. Wednesday evening divine service year-round at 6.30. Everything uh, that we do is uh, broadcast live on our radio station, KNNALP, right here in Lincoln, Nebraska, 95.7 on the dial. And you can, uh, if you're outside, you can download the KNNA app, or you can uh, listen on the web, www.thecross957.org. All right, we're in uh, James chapter 4. We left off with... um, Verse 6, we want to pick up here at verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, Pastor, finally, I get to do something. I mean, God's been doing it all to this point, right? Now, finally, I get to do something. If I simply submit, if I simply resist, then the devil will flee from me, right? Right? Well, um, that's the way it's translated in our English again. But in, in, <laughs> my tongue is firmly planted in my cheek. Yeah, in the in the Greek, uh, the verb it's related to the one we just talked about in the last segment. Uh, but this is hupotasso, and this is an aorist passive uh, imperative, and so. It is a command, but it is passive in that sense also. And so it's really commanding you in that way to be submitted uh, before God. And, and so in that way, it is passive. That means we're not the one doing the doing. God is doing it. And uh, it is an imperative, meaning it's a command maybe that God is giving to us or that James is giving to us on behalf of God as a pastor. Uh, in, in either case, it is it is passive in that sense. Doesn't that seem, uh, once again, this seems so contrary to reason. Because my reason tells me that if you give me a command, I either obey it or I do not obey it. I'm the one doing the doing. And now here, God is the one commanding us, in a sense, 
to do something that we on our own are unable to do. Is that correct? Yeah, and uh, he's carrying it out. And again, perhaps because we have this tasso verb next to the other tasso verb that was definitely a military uh, usage, maybe we think of it that way as well. When the drill sergeant says jump, uh, what's the answer? How high or how many times? Or if you're in battle and the commander says form a line this direction, you just do it. You don't think about it and say, am I doing this or is it, you know, you do it because um, the battle and perhaps your life is on the line in doing this uh, sort of activity. And so that sense of it does put it in the passive voice. And uh, I really, I really appreciate how you explain that with the the military terms and, uh, you know, you're, you're given an order, you just follow it. You don't think about it. You don't question it. You just do it. Um, because this is what is missing so much in our world today, and this is what is missing so much in the church today. And I think it goes back to the understanding of the word submit, because submit is an evil word in our society. Submit is a dirty word uh, to all feminists, to submit to anyone or anything is a, it's almost considered un-American. And for a woman in this day and age to submit to a male is like the most horrific thing that you could possibly do. Um, Vicar, uh, some words on that word submit. Why is it not a dirty word, a naughty word, an evil word. So the word submit, right, it just, it, it kind of just grates against our ears because we're modern Americans. In the Greek, I think a more like literal translation is be under order. And so God... Which ties in with what Pastor uh, gave that illustration. Go right. on. Right. So... God is saying, be under order. And you have to ask yourself, okay, what is this order? And it's the order that he has created for us, right? And God establishes order in three different realms or estates that we would talk about within Lutheranism, within the church, within the family, and then within the state, and God establishes this order not so that the person on top can be domineering or in charge or boss people around, but that so God could give his gifts to his people through this order. So in the church, God gives pastors and bishops and overseers to his people so that they might deliver God's word and God. God's gifts of word and sacrament to his people. Grace upon grace. In the family, God gives the authority to the husband and the father to bless his wife and children with protection and provision and spiritual headship. And these are all good gifts from God as well. Um, within the state, God gives the authority to the state to punish evil and evildoers and to reward that which is good. And to be under order 
to be submitted to those in authority over you is simply for your own good and for your own benefit. And it's not a dirty word. It's a good word. It's good news. The Lord establishes order and submission for those under that order so that God would give them every good gift. Vicar, I think that was beautifully stated. And God is a gift-giving God, and God is a God of order. So it would make sense that he would give his gifts through the order that he has created and he has established. I keep wanting to go back to uh, James chapter 1, Pastor, about the man who looks in the mirror and then immediately forgets what he looks like. We could say the man looks in the mirror and sees whose order he's under, and then he turns away from the mirror and forgets that order, and then just goes about and does what he pleases. Uh, one thing I want to say, Pastor, sometimes pastors will talk when they are, are ordained, that they have been placed under orders. Is that a good way to talk about a pastor in the office of the holy ministry to be placed under orders, especially as Vicar has just outlined this order that God gives for the benefit of his church? I, th I think it's a fine way to talk about it. I think it's even a little bit more in the sense you're being put into that order, into this particular office okay, and position, I like it. I like uh, it. which has particular orders that go with it. Uh, and so it, it is that and just a little bit more. Okay. Uh, well, uh, you know, at Good Shepherd, uh, you know, at the time of this recording, you know, we're really getting pretty close to a changing of the guard with regard to some of this order here at Good Shepherd. I'm nearing my retirement. Uh, functionally, Pastor Moline will be the head pastor, the senior pastor, uh, whatever whatever human term you want to put on it. Uh, former Vicar Goodroad will be the associate pastor, and um, pastors are put into an order, and they are under orders. I think maybe, maybe it's a both and there, mm -hmm. and I like that. And uh, Vicar, of all the things that you've done on Vicarage, um, that... Uh, brief and simple definition of submission and connecting that to the order, I think is maybe uh, one of, if not the most beautiful. So thank you. You're welcome. Oh, yeah. He was surprised by that compliment, Pastor. He's, he's, um, all, he's all embarrassed now. Like, oh, shucks. <laughs> uh, resist the devil. The second half of verse 7, Pastor. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Um, is this true? Well, is I, this true? We can, we can um, you know, by the grace of God, have the devil flee from us? I, I think it's true. It's scripture teaches it, and uh, we see it, for example, in the, um, the temptation of our Lord Jesus Christ, right, where it says the devil left him till an opportune time after he resisted him. Now, of course, we're not God. We're not going to resist as completely and fully as our Lord Jesus Christ has because of our sinful nature still fighting against our Christian flesh. Um, but it is true in that regard. And I would point out here, so if the, the verb submit was in the passive, this verb here, resist, is in the active. Okay. Uh, so it is our 
task and our duty then as those under order from Christ, if we want to use that phrase, uh, that part of the that is actively resisting the the devil and all of his lies and things like that. So how do I do this, Vicar? How do I actively resist the devil? Do I get a uh, lanyard uh, made out of garlic? And uh, to to ward off the evil spirits. That's vampires. Do I make the sign of the cross uh, seventy five times a day uh, to remind myself and the devil that I'm baptized? How how do I actively resist the devil? Put some flesh on the bone. Sure. So resist the devil through the reading and the study of God's word. Amen. Know what God's word has to say about it. Um, be mindful of the things you look at. Be mindful of the places you go. Be mindful of all of these different temptations because the devil is wandering about like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. Um, pray the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Just There are so many things in our world that the devil will use against Christians to snatch you away from Christ. Um, be in his word, be in God's word, go to church, pray without ceasing. Um, all, all of these things resist the devil. Call upon the Lord in the moment of your temptation. Um, apply God's word to these different temptations. With one word, you can turn away the devil. And in so doing, you are remembering whose orders you have been placed under. And you are not only looking in the mirror uh, and uh, to see who, who you are and whose you are, but you are reminded constantly. Aren't we talking here, Pastor, everything Vicar said, aren't we talking about a proper Lutheran piety? Yes, yes. And in fact, uh, that's what James is going to say in verse 8, right? Uh, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Um, which is what the vicar's saying, right? Be where God is in his word and in his sacrament, and in those things, then he will also come near to you. It is the proper Lutheran piety. See, and I, th I think this is one, and we're, we're running up against a, a break here, but I think this is one of the problems that we have and have had for a long time in the Lutheran church, is we struggle with a proper Lutheran piety. We think that if we are too pious that we are giving the impression that we are earning our working our way to heaven. Or that if we practice a proper Lutheran piety, all of a sudden we'll, be, we'll all turn into pietists and we'll think that our piety is earning our way to heaven rather than our piety being a proper response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor, I'm going to have you hold off. I want you to respond to this piety, pietism thing when we come back and finish up James 4, 1 to 10. This is Equipping the Saints. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar. Oh man, 
I almost said an old vicar's name, Vicar Kirstein. Uh, we serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. We uh, encourage you. Uh, this is episode 59 of Equipping the Saints. The last, uh, oh, I don't know, 15 or 18 or so have been on the book of James. You can uh, check out the uh, archive of those programs, plus hundreds of other programs on our uh, podcast site, KNNA Theological Programming. KNNA Theological Programming. Um, really starting at verse 7 through verse 10, we have James' call to repentance. And we, we looked at verse 7 in great detail. Um, we're going to pick up now with verse 8. And Pastor, I'd really like to take 8, 9, and 10 together and finish up this section uh, in, uh, in this particular segment of our program because James is, in a sense, saying the same thing several different ways, calling the people to repentance. We heard that in verse 7, and now in verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Starting in uh, about the middle of verse 9, we, we see the flip. We see um, that repentance, that first part of repentance, where, where we are have a broken and contrite heart. We are humbling ourselves before God, and then God picks us up and exalts us, starting about the middle of verse 9 through verse 10. Uh, Pastor, first of all, would you agree with that, that general statement that 7 to 10 is an extended call to repentance? I agree. I think it's begun before, right? When he says, um, be submitted to God. Uh, and even the the conflict uh, words we've talked about in the other parts uh, where, you know, if this is who you are, you're the enemy of God. I think all these things have been leading to this uh, call to repentance. And now, now that you have the reasons, of course, you do have the specific uh, actual call itself. Before we look at these uh, individual words here, Pastor, um, is it proper for a pastor to call people to repentance? Um, I hope so, or we're in we, trouble. <laughs> we, 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 live, we live in a day and age where um, judge not lest ye be judged is thrown in a pastor's face all the time. And uh, is that, you know, we do it all the time. And uh, is it legit? Uh, it is legit. And people who try and dismiss it with those words are actually doing the very thing that those words say uh, are speaking against. I'm not judging, right? I'm letting God's word speak for itself. My job is not to determine what is right and wrong. My word is to tell you what God says about it. And in that way, I am not judging Anytime I say this thing that you're doing is sin, uh, it's not my judgment. It's what God's word says. And I will try 
uh, in all those instances as a faithful pastor to show you in God's Word where it says that thing, that you can take it, you know, to quote LeVar Burton, I keep doing that this week, you don't have to take my word for it. Uh, take the words, Lord, for it. Okay. Uh, that sets us up well. Uh, we left off the last segment, and I asked the question about, uh, you know, do we have a piety problem in Christendom today, and especially in the Lutheran Church? Pastor, give us a few words, and it ties in really well here with you know the the way we know whether we are sinning is God's word, you know, and if we are breaking God's word, we need God through His ordered representative to call us to repentance. Um, why is a proper Lutheran piety? a good thing for the church to teach and encourage? A proper Lutheran piety or proper Christian piety, right? I think these are the same idea, the same thing, um, is important because it lets God be God and it uh, places yourself into that order that we were talking about earlier, underneath God, submitting to him and... Um, making the things that you do, for example, in worship, the center of your life, right? The, the things that you say when you confess, you're speaking what God says about you. When you hear the absolution, he's forgiving your sins. When you're receiving his gifts, you know, everything he's doing, it is the proper way to understand it and do it. And uh, all the things that we do in service are just that. They're in service to God's work. And a proper piety lets that be the case. And there can be no way to have the idea that it's up to you or your thoughts or your actions uh, creep in to undermine the things that God is truly doing. So I'm not sure I'm making sense or answering yeah, you, your question. You are, and I just want to, add, I just want to ask one thing. Uh, a proper Lutheran slash Christian piety is not confined to the worship service, is it? It's not, uh, because... Um, when you are someone's man, you are that way all the time, right? Um, and that's the truth. You receive the gifts in church, and that affects who you are. We've talked about this in that way also. If Christ really raised from the dead, that changes everything for your entire life. Um, suddenly, money is not the important part, or power, or uh, you know, friends or even family, all these other things. Or worldly passions. Right. Which is kind of the context of where James was at. Instead, if Christ has been raised and the promises that we will be raised on the last day as well, then that is the thing that is most important. And uh, I hate to say it, you know, but it's almost Pascal's wager in that way. Uh, is it Pascal? Is that the right guy? Yeah. Okay. Um, if, if it's true, then everything matters in that light. If it's not true, then nothing matters. And and I think that's one of the major themes of James is, you know, uh, this, is, this is not an intellectual exercise. Faith is not an idea. Uh, the gospel is, is not some platonic thought. It is real. It is as real as the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for poor, miserable sinners like us. And we receive this forgiveness of sin as a gift, and then in turn, forgiven, restored, loved, we live 
the Christian faith. We put ourselves, or God has put us under the a new master, so to speak, and uh, we look in the mirror and we remember who we are, and we live it. We live it every day. We don't live it perfectly because we continue to sin. And because we don't live it perfectly, we need this call to repentance as we have here in these verses from James. Um, when, uh, when we have, in the middle of verse 8, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Um, when I think of cleansing my hands, I think of my hands being dirty. But that is equated here in James 4, verse 8, cleansing my hands with purifying my heart. How do the two go together? What's this all about, Pastor? Well, I think uh, this, is, this is describing the way sin is in our lives in thought, word, and deed, right? Uh, and so your hands are the things that are doing the sinful actions, and so they need to be cleansed because they're doing these sinful things. And why are they doing it? Well, because you've thought about these things in your heart, and you love God wrongly in your heart, uh, and thereby also uh, that needs to be cleaned as well. And so your double-mindedness and your sinful actions uh, are the manifestations of the sinful nature that is within you. Thought, word, indeed. Uh, that's, uh, that's where our sin is at. Verse 9, where it says, be wretched and mourn and weep. I get the mourn and weep. What is this? What is this? Be wretched. Because when I think of wretched, I think of maybe how someone looks. Oh, what a wretched looking individual. Uh, how does this wretchedness fit into God's call to repentance? Yeah, the, the word, you know, we've got it translated as um, wretched here, but it, it has the idea of going through a hardship or uh, hard labor, right? Um, so the people standing on the side of the road with chains around their ankles breaking rocks, they look wretched because they're doing this terrible, horrible task of breaking rocks, you know, or if you've gone through a terrible journey and now have gotten to the other end, you look wretched, you know. Um, An athlete who is, you know, sweating and striving and that kind of, is that wretched look, is, is that, uh, that's kind of where my head went. Is yeah, that, the, the guy who's just run the marathon uh, at world record pace and gets to the end, what do they all do? <laughs> they all fall down and throw up. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, they puke. Uh, um, you know, or the guy who rides his bike to work and uh, is all sweaty and gross and looks wretched. Uh, that's the kind of thing that we're talking no, he, about. He doesn't look wretched. He just smells wretched. Um, uh, inside joke there, folks. Um, so in uh, verse 9 continues, it says, Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Does this mean that the Christian life is empty of laughter and joy? Is that what, uh, is that what James is teaching us here? No, we're looking at our sin, right? So we've looked at all the things we've done, our double-mindedness, our conflicts against people around us, how we forget who we are, how we've acted uh, and thought word and deed against God and his word. And rather than being glad and happy about these things, we ought to really just tell the truth about them and say, uh, this is not good <laughs> at the very, very, very 
minimum, right? Uh, it's not good because it puts our souls at risk of eternal hell and suffering. So it's okay for us to be happy and joyful over the things of God and the gifts that he has given us? What do you think, Vicar? I would say so, absolutely. Yes, and uh, um, for people who characterize the uh, Christian life or the Christian faith as someone who is always dour and sour, uh, that, that is a mischaracterization. That's a lie of Satan. Last thing, Pastor, you see the time that we have left. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. How will God exalt me? Is he going to give me lots of friends? Is he going to give me lots of money? Is he going to exalt me to positions of power inside of these orders that he has created? What is this exalting referring to? Yeah, well, first off, too, uh, the word humble here again is in the passive, right? So be humbled uh, before the Lord and he will exalt you. And the exaltation that takes place is what he's promised, uh, peace and life everlasting in the ages to come and uh, the uh, resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting that we confess in the creed. That's the exaltation that we'll receive. And it is so wonderful and beyond all of our comprehension that uh, it's impossible to even describe any more clearly than that. So in our human humility and repentance, we are on our knees and in the ash heap of our sin. And God lifts us up and raises us up and points our head toward him and the ultimate victory won in Christ. What a marvelous, marvelous section of scripture, James 4, 1 to 10. Sadly, we need to bring this episode to a close. We'll be back again soon and continue our study of James, God's richest blessings in Christ. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.